Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, God has made a provision to deal with the believer's sin now so that the believer won't have to have his sins dealt with along with unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. Do you see that? Judges punish and parents discipline. Well, at least that's how it's supposed to work anyway. Christ has already taken the punishment for those who trust in him. But that doesn't mean that our Heavenly Father will not ever need to take us to the woodshed if we persist in unrepentant sin. Today on Verse by Verse, we'll be looking into how God deals with our sins as we continue to develop our current topic, the security of the believer. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he's our teacher each weekday as we go through God's Word a verse at a time. This series, though, is a little different because... As Pastor Steve was teaching through the Gospel of John, he came to some verses that contained a wonderful promise, a promise so wonderful that we're spending a few weeks dealing with it and the many related verses throughout Scripture. We'll begin today with a little review from our last class. We know that God is perfect and cannot tolerate sin. So what happens when a Christian sins? Does God just ignore it like it never happened? No, he can't. But he doesn't forsake us either. Here's Pastor Steve to explain. God doesn't just turn his back and say, well, that's taken care of. No, he has two ways of dealing with our sin. And I want you to know that, and that's important. How does he do with it? He's made two provisions. Two provisions by which he keeps a saved person from ever being lost because of any sin committed in that saved person's life. And I want you to to realize this. First of all, I'd like you to turn to 1 John. And all of you should turn there. This is a precious, precious verse and a precious truth that I'm going to deal with. In fact, when I, when I studied it this week, I just had to put down my Bible and, and just have a time of worshiping and praising the Lord. This is so magnificent, this truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, in chapter 1, he, he has spoken about fellowship with him, and we confess our sins, and, and we ought to know that we have sin and so forth, and, and it's all been taken care of. But then he says, chapter 2, verse, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now, that's the standard of God. That's the goal. God doesn't want us to sin, does he? It's not his desire that we sin. And if anyone sins, and we do, because all you have to do is go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he's not saying, you know, if, if anyone, any one of you just happens to have sin. No, all of us sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, or the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation Uh, That's a 50-cent word, but it's propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You may have read that verse over and over again. You may have only looked at that verse from a a standpoint of the sovereignty of God, saying, see, he didn't just die for my sins, he died for the world's sins. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. What is he saying? I can present it this way. The picture that John is presenting to us is a courtroom scene. It's a courtroom scene. That's what the language implies. God the Father is the judge. 
He's the judge, the ancient of days, the judge of the universe. And a sin that a Christian has committed has come before him and it must be dealt with. The holy, righteous judge must deal with that sin. There's no doubt about it. We've really sinned. If we say we have no sin, we've lied to ourselves. We've deceived ourselves. What's more, there's a prosecuting attorney who's pressing charges. Who is that? That's Satan. That's the devil. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is before God night and day accusing the brethren. In other words, when a saved person sins, Satan files a charge immediately and he points his, his finger at us and he demands condemnation. He says, judge, that one has sinned, just like he did to, to Job, that one has sinned. What are you going to do about it? You're righteous. That is real sin. Now, I say he ought to be in hell because of that. What chance do we have? Can't deny that you've sinned. Can't deny that God is righteous. Can't deny that Satan accuses us. God can't just ignore it. And Satan knows that. And he is demanding punishment for us. What plea do we have? What possible plea do we have? Can we even rush into the, the courtroom of heaven and defend ourselves? You'd, you'd, uh, you'd lose anyway if you try to defend yourself. And you couldn't possibly. You can't rush into the, into the uh, court of heaven. We need someone to defend us. We need a defense attorney. We need an advocate. God has provided that advocate. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's the preciousness of this verse. We have someone who not just is anyone, but we have a righteous advocate, a righteous defense lawyer who never loses a case. Never loses a case. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate. The term advocate is the Greek word, which means someone who's, who's called alongside to help. It's, it's the same root from which we get the word uh, comforter. Someone who is called alongside to help us. But it means more than that. In ancient Greek literature, it was used for a legal assistant. Someone who would represent the defender in a court of law in order to plead his case. That, that's how it was used in ancient Greek writings. Jesus Christ is your defense lawyer, and he comes along your side to plead your case. He pleads it before the Father. He stands at your side in order to, to plead it. How could he possibly plead your case? You've sinned. I've sinned. He doesn't deny that we've sinned. He's righteous. He's not going to lie. He simply points to his death upon Calvary's cross and he simply reminds the father that that sin has been paid for. That sin has been paid for. What, what does he plead? Words to this effect. Father, I'm the lamb without blemish and spot that paid for that sin. I'm the just one dying for the unjust. I was bruised for his iniquities or her iniquities. I bore his or her sins in my body upon that tree. I've redeemed him from the curse of the law. Uh, which he is now being accused because I was made a curse for him. Father, it's all been taken care of. He points to his own death and he defends our sin on the basis of himself. That's what verse 2 means. Propitiation is a long word. You know what it means? It means basically that the holy demands of the law have been met. The holy demands of the law have been met. There is no condemnation anymore. And Satan, he accuses us night and day, but to no avail. 
What John is saying is this. When we sin, Jesus pleads our case by pointing to the cross and telling the Father, this sin has been paid for by me. The law has been satisfied and your righteousness has not been violated. Listen, no matter what sin you have ever done, you still have a defense attorney who will never lose. I don't care if it's murder. I don't care if it's abortion, which is murder. I don't care if it's homosexuality, lesbian. No matter what sin you have ever done, pride, lying, bitterness, hatred, it doesn't matter what sin you have ever done, you have a defense attorney, the righteous one, who will never lose your case. Because you're on your way to heaven, not based on you, but based on his death and your acceptance of it. Not only will Satan accuse us before the Father, but you and I know that he accuses us to our own face within our hearts. He's no respecter of persons, and he's after us, and he will accuse us. And Christians ought not to be naive about this. We are capable of committing any sin. Any sin. The other week, as I was thinking about the issue of eternal security, Satan began to accuse me in my own heart. Began to accuse me. Began to bring up thoughts of condemnation and, and hell and things like that. And I opened my Bible to Romans 8. I'd like you to open it to Romans 8 as well. And God met my need, and I trust he'll meet your needs, because we don't want to say that uh, you'll never be attacked in this area. In fact, that's why we're dealing with this subject, because we are so attacked by Satan. He loves for you to be defeated and to think that you're not saved, or you've sinned it away, or you've lost it. God can meet your need. Romans chapter 8. Verse 39. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. In other words, certainly not God is, is bringing a charge against you. Well, he's the one who declares you righteous. He's not bringing a charge against you. That would be hypocritical. That would be dumb for him to do that. Who's the one who condemns? Certainly not God. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Obviously, it's Satan. Christ Jesus is he who died. He doesn't condemn you. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Jump down to... Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul says this, and if Paul's convinced, we ought to be convinced. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what an amen our hearts ought to sing to that. No matter what you, you've been accused of, thank God there is nothing past, present, or future, which will separate us, the believer, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Did you notice verse 34? It says that he's interceding for us. Uh, that's simply saying he's our advocate. He continually pleads our case before the Father. The intercession of Christ is so important. The intercession of Christ. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7 a verse that is often misused, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 says this, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. He says that, that he's not, the writer is saying that Jesus is not like uh, the priesthood after Levi. He's like the priesthood after Melchizedek. Melchizedek's priesthood was continual. 
It's a different kind of priesthood. It doesn't end. Verse 25, hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Some people have said this verse means that Jesus can save anyone, a rotten sinner. He can say, there are degrees of sin and he can save the, the most wretched. That's true, but that's not what this verse is saying. The expression to the uttermost means to the end. To the uttermost in the sense to the end. Complete. To the end. It's the same word that's used in John 13, when he loved his own to the end. Now the question is, to the end of what? To the end of what? Until there's no more need for him to intercede on our behalf for our sins. I suppose you could say until we get to heaven when we will not have any more sin. Because that's, that's the context. He, has, he abides forever. He's a, he has a priesthood permanently. He always lives to make intercession for us. He is continually pleading your case. That's what this means. Continually. An unending intercession for us because we are always accused night and day. I want you to notice something in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. You don't need to turn back there, but John never says, if, if we confess our sins or if we repent, we have an advocate. You know, then, it's, then he pleads our case. No, that's not the point. Before you ever repent or confess, or even if you don't repent or confess, if you're a true believer, you have an advocate. The world does not have an advocate. They don't have a defense lawyer. If you're unsaved, you are guilty with, and the prosecuting attorney uh, is after you and you have no defense. You have no defense. You have no defense attorney. But I said before that God has a twofold approach in dealing with a believer's sin. The first approach is that we have an advocate. Whether you repent, whether you confess, that is not the issue. Your behavior here is not the question. That was chapter one. We ought to confess it. Chapter 2 is saying you simply have an advocate if you do sin, not if you get it right with the Lord if you do sin. But there's another way that God deals with believers' sins, and that's chastisement or correction or discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that. And God only deals with the believer this way because we're his children. God has a certain way of dealing with us according to our sin. Hebrews chapter 12 starting at the middle of verse 5, says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, he's saying every child, every son, every daughter has discipline of which all have become partakers. Every one of us have had the disciplining hand of God upon us. Then you are illegitimate if you don't have that. You're illegitimate. You're illegitimate children and not sons. One of the marks of sonship is to be spanked by the Lord. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them and so forth. And he says that God does the same thing. If you fail to confess your sin and judge yourselves in the sense of, of admitting that you've sinned. Confess means to admit, it means to agree with God, then God will deal with you in correction. If you don't correct yourself, he'll correct you. And the verse I really want you to see is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I think this, this kind of brings it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now the Corinthians were, were getting drunk, 
They were becoming gluttonous. They were coming to the Lord's table in a, in a drunken stupor. And Paul deals with them about their sin. And he really uh, says that so much about God is chastising. In fact, he says, some of you are, are no longer here. Some have died and are ill because of this correction. Then he says, verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. In other words, if you judge yourselves, he's not talking about going to hell, obviously. If you evaluate yourselves as having sinned and confess it and repent, then we would not be judged. We won't be judged. God won't have to discipline you. But when we are judged, verse 32, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, God has made a provision to deal with the believer's sin now so that the believer won't have to have his sins dealt with along with unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. Do you see that? God is saying, this is now when your sins will be dealt with. This is now. This is the time. Believers' sins are different from the world's sins. Believers only have to be disciplined. They don't have to be punished. Punishment is different from discipline. I discipline my children to correct them, to get their behavior in order. A judge disciplines, or a judge punishes, rather. He's not interested in correcting behavior. He punishes so as to have payment for the crime. We don't just, as fathers, as mothers, we don't just discipline our children because it's punishment. No, Christ has taken our punishment. We discipline to correct, to change behavior. Hell is not discipline. Hell is punishment. Spanking is discipline. That's what God does with us. Strombeck, again in his book, says, If God has made a special provision for the saved person who persists in sinning to keep him from being lost, how can he be lost? It is a case of denying the sufficiency of God's provision in, in chastening to say that the one who has been saved is not eternally secure. Correction proves that we belong to him. If you've never been corrected, if you've never been disciplined, then you don't belong to the Lord. If you have never been spanked by the Lord, and you say, well, how does that take place? Oh, a host of different ways, and I, I couldn't even begin to deal with that. God is his own way of dealing with, with all of us. If you've never been rebuked by the Lord, if you've never been spanked, if you've never been dealt with, if you've never uh, been convicted of something that's, that's wrong in your life, then you're, then you're not one of his. That's what the Word of God says. And if you don't ever confess your sin then either you aren't a Christian or you are an unrepentant Christian. And if you are unrepentant and persistent in your sin, and if you're a true believer, then God will discipline you. If not, then you need to trust him. If, if there's no discipline ever at any time, then you're not saved. You need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to know about security of salvation primarily. You need to know about salvation, that you need salvation. See, if you've never trusted Christ, then everything I've said today is not really for you. It's not that, uh, you, well, let me put it this way. You are condemned. If you've never trusted Christ, you're condemned for your sins. You are unrighteous before him. You have no case to plead. You are guilty. But when you come to Christ, you put your faith in him, all of that changes. You don't just have salvation in the sense that I'm just on my way to heaven. You have a secure salvation, which can't be touched now. You have no condemnation. You are justified. You are righteous in his sight. And God deals with your sins in a unique way. You have a defense case. You have a defense attorney who never quits. 
and you don't have to pay him anything. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to pay him anything. You don't have to make an office visit. He, he just, he'll defend you. Whether you know it or not, he'll defend you. And he'll discipline you too. You may be really struggling with doubts about whether you're saved or not. And if Satan is charging you with guilt and condemnation, then I, I want to remind you that nothing, Paul says, but nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Satan can't, your sin can't, what people say can't. Nothing can separate us. Paul says, I'm convinced. If Paul's convinced, I think we ought to also. I close with this little poem I came across this week. I hear the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. Though the restless foe accuses, sins recounting like a flood, every charge our God refuses, Christ has answered with his blood. Let's bow for prayer. If you're without Christ, let me say to you that he wants to answer every charge with his blood. He cannot until you come and appropriate his death for yourself. It isn't enough to know that Christ died for our sins. You must trust that. You must trust not just that, but you must trust him. You must believe. You must transfer your trust from your own righteousness to him and his death upon the cross. That's the gospel. Not that you just know it in your head, but that you trust the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and specifically the work that he did upon the cross and shedding his blood for your sin personally. When that takes place, you are given a salvation that can never be torn from you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They'll never, ever perish. You need to trust him. Christian friend, let me encourage you. If you're being tormented by the tormentor, go back to Romans 8 and see that who's the one who really is charging you? Who's the one who's condemning you? It certainly isn't God. And if it's Satan, you don't have to believe him because he is a liar. He has never told the truth. He has never told the truth since he sinned and fell. And he wants you to think that you have sinned and have fallen. But that's not true. You cannot fall from grace. You are as secure as the Lord Jesus Christ is because you are in him. Thank God for that. Thank him for that. Don't, don't worry about whether you're saved or not, but begin to thank God that you are and believe what his word says, not your experience. Our Father, I pray that you'll take the message of, of this morning, the word of God, and apply it to each one of our hearts. Help us to rest in what you've done. Help us to, to simply not listen to the accuser roar, but to recognize that, that Jesus is defending us, and with him as our defense, we can't possibly lose. I thank you for this wonderful salvation. The writers of the Hebrews called it so great salvation, and we say amen to that. Thank you that salvation is all of grace. And Father, we pray for, for those who might believe that, that they can lose their salvation, that these messages, these truths, these verses are beginning to get a grip on their hearts. And for all of us who perhaps know this doctrine but need to be grounded and settled in it more, may not only these truths uh, grip us, but may we get a hold of the truth that we may appropriate it for our lives. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our righteous advocate. Amen. Amen. The debt has been paid, and Jesus promised that his sheep will never perish. What a wonderful promise. If you haven't yet taken Jesus up on his offer of eternal life, there's no better time than right now. 
You've been listening to Verse by Verse and Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, visit www.lakesidechapel.com. Today's broadcast finishes a three-part message and brings us to the halfway mark in a series of lessons about eternal security called Safety for the Sheep. If you'd like to receive this entire message on a CD, call 727-239-0306 and ask for message 7270, Defense of Eternal Security, Part 1. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, and we're thankful for and to the generous people like you whose prayers and financial gifts make these broadcasts possible. If you've been praying about giving to this ministry over and above your regular giving to your church, we have a special page on our website for that purpose. Go to versebyverseradio.org and click the tab labeled Giving. And as always, the Message Archive tab is there if you want to download or stream any of our previous broadcasts. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to join us next time on Verse by Verse. What is your motive for godly living? Do you seek to be Christ-like out of a sense that your soul is still at stake? Or is it?